I'm joined today by a dynamic and enthusiastic Canadian who's been involved in political lobbying and parliamentary discussions for decades. As a mother, Faitine is passionate about doing whatever is needed to create the best possible Canada for future generations. Faitine is currently on a speaking tour with For My Canada, a group that offers direction to concerned fellow Canadians on how they can use their time, talent, and influence to affect positive change. Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. Faitine, it is great having you with me today. Every time we talk, you've got something new happening and things going on. You are on tour. Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, you know, this. there's this thing that keeps us busy, and it's called a love for Canada, huh. right? And a concern for Canada. And so, yeah, Leon, I, this is wild. If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space, I was told <laughs> once by a wise pastor. And so Robert, I, and the kids, we are all in. They're not traveling with me, but they've released mom. I am traveling the nation. This is probably the first time I've done this in over a decade, Leon, um, because you know, I used to do it all the time. I used to travel and speak at churches, but with COVID and the launch of our show, I just haven't been able to do it. So this is really exciting for me, but but I'm going with, with gravity. I, I have a message for the nation and a message that's not just emotional, not just inspirational, but is actually data-based regarding how we got the current leadership that we have in Canada I just I've discovered some stuff that was just so eye opening to me. I felt just compelled to go on the road for the next month here to share it with believers from C to C. So that's what we're doing. So are you going? Where are you now? Are you? What's your itinerary? Yeah, yeah. Well, you can probably tell your viewers can probably tell I am not in my normal studio here. I am in a travel lodge in Moncton, uh, New Brunswick. We were actually in Fredericton last night, St. John, New Brunswick, uh, the Wednesday prior. And then tomorrow we're going into Prince Edward Island. We're going to be doing two tour stops there. And then we're, I know as of the time that this airs, uh, these ones will probably already be done, but then we're shooting right down to Nova Scotia into Quebec. We're going to be doing as many stops as we can in Quebec, then Ontario, and just working our way across the nation. Now, you were talking about stats. Let's dive into some of this information as to who decides who leads the country. Yeah, this was very eye-opening. Now, some of your viewers might not know this, but we, uh, my husband and I have two organizations that we run. Run is our charitable works. That's our TV, our prayer events. Uh, but then we also have a, a civic engagement, a political action nonprofit that, that I lead. And we've been taking teams of young people to parliament to meet with members of parliament and senators for decades now, two decades. And we've had over a thousand meetings with members of parliament and senators. And I never saw what I'm about to share with the nation of Canada through this tour. I had never seen before, even though we kind of lived in this world. And to bottom line it, um, you know, Leon, a lot of times people will say to me that, you know, they love Canada, they're concerned for Canada, but they just don't know what they can actually do to really make a difference, not just do something, but to actually have an ROI, a return on the investment for their time. And a lot of times people say, well, you know, I don't feel like my vote makes a difference. We hear that a lot from yeah. uh, people in Western Canada, especially. And so what I realized, Leon, is that in the last two major party leadership races, this is what I found out just doing the math, and this is a stunning statistic, that only 0.2%, not even a full percent, Leon, only 0.2% of Canadians participating in choosing the leader of the political party that they felt to engage with determined the leader of those parties 
and eventually determined the future trajectory of our nation. I'll unpack that a little bit. In 2013, for example, uh, there were about just over 81,000 Canadians that participated in the liberal leadership um, election process. Uh, they nominated and elected Justin Trudeau in 2013. And because those 80,000 people did that, they were the ones that determined that Justin Trudeau would be on the ballot going against Prime Minister Stephen Harper in 2015, pulling out a one, they pulled out a 184 seat majority that year. And that really set Justin Trudeau on his trajectory to the current leadership position he has in Canada today. And it really set him on the trajectory for our whole nation in terms of who created the climate of the pandemic management season nationally, and there's so much we can talk about in that, but when I saw that only 80% or only 80,000 Canadians, 0.2% of Canadians determined that that would be the name on the ballot for prime minister, I was literally shocked <laughs> when I saw that number. I was like, really? That small? And so then I, I did the same deep dive on the conservative leadership race because we're nonpartisan. We don't just promote one party. We promote civic engagement. We promote yeah people like your viewers who care about critical issues for the future of our nation, just getting involved, like bringing their skin into the game to affect change. And so we always encourage people to do whatever they can to make a positive impact whenever they can, when the opportunity arises. And so I did a deep dive into the conservative leadership race as well. Same number, Leon. I found that it was about 90,000 Canadians that popped Aaron O'Toole over the top, even though Dr. Leslie Lewis actually got the popular vote, which we can chop that up to you if you want. Um, but he won the most ridings with 90,000 votes. Again, only 0.2% of Canadians determining who would be on the ballot for prime minister. And if there's one thing that we've seen, we've seen many things, but if there's one thing that we've seen with the function of the two major party caucuses over the last couple of years is that the leader sets the culture. And I know you talk about that a lot in your leadership uh, training, but the leader sets the culture of these parties. And so, so getting involved at the leadership level in terms of voting in leadership races is actually the highest return on investment. It's one of the ways you can have the highest return on investment for your time um, in the civic engagement process when it comes to electing leaders that stand for the things that we care about. So of 10,000 people, I don't know what the number was in the leadership races for both parties between them and how much they beat out the next person, but you could probably say five or 10,000 people who care, who would have joined each party would have decided the leadership of the nation. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit more for you. I, yeah. I mentioned the, the Dr. Leslie Lewis, Aaron O'Toole comparison, which is, you know, we're just talking the history of what happened in the last conservative leadership race. So Leslie Lewis, Dr. Leslie Lewis, won what's called the popular votes. That means she got, actually got more votes than Aaron O'Toole, but didn't win enough votes in the right ridings. And so um, I've got some friends that kind of specialize in data analysis. So I asked them, I said, what was the, what was the margin there? Like, what would it have taken for Dr. Leslie Lewis, given that she had the most votes to actually win the most ridings, they broke it down for me and they said, basically, Fateen, it comes down to 149 ridings across the nation, which would be called the swing ridings. And she would have needed about 57 more votes, 57 more votes in each of those 149 ridings. These are tiny numbers, Leon. These are tiny numbers. And what I'm finding is a lot of people don't realize that, number one, they can vote in the leadership process, uh, but they do have to be an active member. It isn't just any Canadian that can vote. They actually have to 
engage with the process. And I, and I, I don't mean this as, as a dig or a bash in any way. So I do want to preface this, but what I'm finding is because um, we haven't been able for whatever reason to talk about this as a faith community, to talk about civic engagement. Unfortunately, that means that the illiteracy level is like very high still with people that care, that care about the doubling of the federal debt, that care about the fact that we have charter rights breaches all across the nation right now that are trying to work their way through the court system, that care about the fact that a pastor can now be thrown in jail for up to five years or a counselor. Like people care about these things, but because we really haven't talked about this a lot, civic engagement, um, it's like there's an illiteracy. So my hope, my hope, Leon, is that this tour will be like a servant uh, mechanism for believers all across Canada that love Canada, that you know still have hope in their heart that we can have better days ahead to say, hey, this is something we can do right now. We can get involved. Don't just wait until 2025 when there's another general election. But if there's somebody that is representing your views and values, then this is a moment to get involved where you can be a part of 0.2% of the Canadian population that could determine who our next prime minister is. Okay, that just that little bit right there should explode hope in every person. You're right. That is worth going across the country for to say you count hugely. I don't think people get it. Like we keep thinking, well, there's 35 million people, so who's voting? And then we start breaking, you're breaking this thing down. You're going, it is just a few little people who are determining who's running our nation. No, it really is. And it was, like I said, it was a shocker for me. And like, you know, Leanne, I should know this. I, you know, we've been at this for a couple of decades. And this is literally the first time that I, that I saw how we're not, we're not talking millions of people. We're literally in many of these cases talking hundreds. I'll give you another example. I don't, okay. I don't know if you let me know when you want me to pull it back because I got so much in me. No, no, go but for it. But the last federal uh, election, you know, we now have a coalition between the NDP and the Liberal uh, mm -hmm. Party that could give uh, the Liberals um, a functional majority right up until 2025. Now, I'm not going to give commentary on that right now, but I'm, I'm just going to state the facts as okay. they are, that that is the fact. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at what enabled that reality, what enabled these two parties to come together to say, we're going to give ourselves a majority, even though Canadians didn't give us a majority, we're going to give ourselves a majority right up until 2025, possibly. Um, it really came down to 20 ridings. And in those 20 ridings, it only came down to a total of 21,900 votes. So if you break that down even further, um, Leon, that's only statistically one person volunteering once a week for about two to three hours over the duration of a campaign, which is usually about six weeks, uh, would identify enough supporters to have changed that verdict. And the math on that is as few as 438 people just getting involved, just volunteering for, I don't tell people who to volunteer for, but I say, when you find somebody that you believe in, get some skin in the game, get behind that person, particularly if they're in a tight race, because you could be that one person literally that would change the game. And that's how, how tight the, the last few elections have been in our nation and leadership races. Wow. So talk to us about what's at stake here. Like, why is this election so important to you? You might make me cry here, uh, Leon, but, you know, sometimes people will ask me, like, do you work for Elections Canada? Do you like, and I'm like, you know what? I, I don't, you know what? And I, in my presentation, I actually put up a picture of my children and I say, this is who I work for. 
Mm -hmm. these, these are my motivators. This is my kickback is being able to look at my children in the face and be honest that in a defining moment and in defining moments for our nation that I showed up with my brain screwed on and, and with my strength to contend for the future. What's at stake? There's so much at stake. Leon, like, where do we start, right? The last two years, the federal debt more than doubling. And as I already rattled a bunch of things off earlier in the race, but I do want to say this, I have a gut feeling on this one, that it's going to be values-based voters, people like your viewers, my viewers, that will determine um, the outcome of the current major party leadership race that is underway. That's the conservative party. It just happens to be the one that's underway. It will be the values-based vote that determines the outcome of that election, either by engagement, that's why we're calling the tour Engage, um, or by disengagement. Um, you know, whoever shows up decides. And if you don't show up, then somebody else decides and probably somebody that you might disagree with or perhaps someone that you might disagree with. So I believe the values-based vote will determine the next leader of the Conservative Party. I believe that the next leader of the Conservative Party will determine who our next prime minister is. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, um, um, Leona, and I'm willing to be wrong on this, but I'm not willing to be right and have having not done anything or not said it. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm taking a risk here, but I believe that the next prime minister will determine our domestic security and even our national sovereignty when it comes to some of the, the um, you know, pressures that, that are happening globally and internationally. We need somebody in Canada that is willing to develop our natural resources in a responsible way, which Canadians do. Willing to, to look at home here about how we can strengthen uh, the fundamental rights and freedoms of Canadians, including freedom of conscience and religion. Mm -hmm. We need somebody that has a heart for Canada first. And I believe the next few weeks here, Leon, will determine... I really believe this will determine who leads our nation in the second half of this decade. I believe the stakes are that high and it's that important for my kids yeah. uh, and for our future and for so many of the issues that you and I talk about on our, on our shows and on a regular basis. Why do you think there's such voter apathy? Because it's a toxin to democracy. I mean, like, talk to me a little bit about that. What is going on when, I don't know, like, just apathy, like wake up the mighty men, wake up the mighty women is what we've got to do. Yeah. You know, I think some of it might be illiteracy and or just busyness, like not catching it. Like, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to people, they don't even know, you know, oh, wow, major party leadership race is underway. Like, let's face it, not everybody in Canada is a political geek following this stuff, you know. So sometimes it's just disengagement, um, lack of understanding of the process. And sometimes it's just hopelessness, not not believing that your vote makes a difference. But this is how I govern my life, Leon. I don't know if you're like this. I don't, I don't do what I do in life because of an outcome that I may or may not get. I do what I do in life because it's the right thing to do. You know, so voting, it, it's such a small amount of time. Uh, in a leadership race, it's such a small amount of money, 15 bucks or 10 bucks or free in some cases. In the general election race, um, you know, such a small amount of time. Sometimes people don't vote because they don't know who to vote for. Um, that's where there's a, incredible servant organizations that, that people can get connected to, whether it's For My Canada, ARPA Canada, uh, right now. Like, there's so many great organizations out there that do voter guides. But, but I would say this, you, you have to decide at some point in your life 
that you're going to do the right thing, even if it might not make a difference. Yeah, you're right. Your vote might not make a difference, but it might, but it might. <laughs> and it's just the right thing to do when you have civic authority and you don't use it. Um, I just, I think it's egregious personally. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that because that is such a great message saying, get involved, get involved. Ground swells can take time and cur courage is contagious. And if people will just get up and get involved, maybe they've never even thought about, uh, you know what? Amazingly conscientious, Canada-loving people in every party would pretty, be pretty stunning. You know what I mean? I mean it, uh, and yeah. so, no, I, I totally agree. You know, moving off to a, another topic, it seems like there's so much power in the prime minister's office, like we've never seen before. What do you think about that? What are your thoughts on that? Why has so much power seemed to go there or has it? Yeah, you know, I, I think, again, it comes down to leadership style, culture, and ideology. If you have somebody who's leading a party or leading a nation that they are just believe that it's okay just to call the shots and cancel people who disagree with you and and, and that's how they run their life and their world. And that's how they lead their family, mm, their yeah. business, whatever. Then that's naturally going to translate into how they lead in the prime minister's office or the OLO. So this is why it's important. It's important to really look at our, the candidates. Is this a person that values other voices? Is this a person that genuinely lets other people speak and digests it and considers it? and choose on it. Like, this is one thing that people liked about Stephen Harper is that he, I'm told, uh, he was a real collaborative leader in the caucus and he would, he would take lots of input um, and then he would take it, he would chew it up and he would make a decision based on the input of his caucus. Um, many times, I'm sure he didn't do it perfectly all the time, but you know, this is why leaders matter and leaders that don't just um, listen in a patronizing sort of way to try to win your heart and therefore win your vote, but that are actually collaborative, that are actually, actually know how to negotiate, actually have emotional depth that they can handle being criticized and, and actually take that constructive criticism and use it to make themselves, their team and the nation better. Um, that's the type of leader that we need. And I think that's where you'll see a decentralization of power is when you actually elect someone that's a team player that honors those around them. You know, what are your thoughts on what, I, what I'm seeing is a number of, a lot of people from, from emerging generations, they don't seem to be as national focused. It's kind of like, we are the world, globalists, you know, so that, why, would, why does Canada matter so much? What are your thoughts on a, on a healthy nation as opposed to, we just need a healthy world? You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I guess in my mind, and maybe this is my missions background when I was in West Africa, um, you know, serving in a war zone there, where I realized that the reason I was able to be there with ability to pick up dying kids, save lives for five bucks, literally, to get malaria yeah. medicine to a child that needed it, was because I came from a nation that had means. I yes. came from a nation that believed in entrepreneurialism, that believed in giving back and was prosperous enough to actually do it. I didn't come, and even my own family, like I didn't come from a family that, that said, you know, wait for a handout. They said, no, like tighten up your belt, go to work, make it happen. And 
What I realized when I was in West Africa is that it's important that Canada stays strong, that Canada stays prosperous, because it's only a strong, free, and prosperous Canada that will be able to help the rest of the world and even be a refuge. Like, why is it? Why is it that we have people coming from all over the world or have in the last uh, generation to call Canada home, my, my great grandparents included, was because Canada was a beacon of opportunity and freedom. And, and if we just surrender that all over, um, you know, it, it diminishes our strength to be able to actually help those around the world um, that need it more. And so I think it's important to say, let the strong be strong, you know, let people produce so that we can be prosperous to be a blessing and to bring healing to the nations of the earth. I don't know if, if that would digest with the type of um, demographic you're talking about, maybe not, um, but that's my, that's my passionate position at this point. I think when we look at history, which must be studied, uh, that we know through stats that where you've got freedom and free enterprise and people can uh, you know, pursue careers and be creative and inventive and there's justice and there's truth and the whole truth, they look after their poor and marginalized better than any other country in the world democracy does. And so when we look at losing freedom and people begin to be controlled, people begin to be managed, people don't want to be managed. And I keep telling people, you know, we don't vote people in because we think they're smarter than us and make decisions for us. We want them to keep the freedom. This free enterprise, this experience, this experiment, if you want to call it that, in democracy, has created stunning countries, not perfect. But then why is the whole world trying to get to countries that use Judeo-Christian principles, which is freedom all the way through? Uh, so, I, no, I, I agree with you. We've got to maintain a strong Canada, and we need a nation that's strong in all of these areas. That is, that is so true. The role of advocacy groups and special interest groups have kind of hijacked uh, the democratic guardrails, if you want to call it, in recent years. Um, there are interest groups that are involved somewhere behind all this. Talk to me a little bit about that. What's your thoughts on that? I, I guess I would say there, there's two kinds of interest groups, right? Those There are those that bring uh, the common Canadian that just doesn't have time to, to focus in. Like I think of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, um, which is an incredible group that just simply scrutinizes what's happening with use of uh, taxpayer money, both at the federal level and provincial level. And then they they watch it closely. They bring that information to their, their followers and empower their followers to speak to their elected officials. So I personally, I love those kind of advocacy groups. And we are one of those kind of advocacy groups that empowers the people with the information that they need, that these are credible sources. And then the people then have the opportunity to take that information and light up the true democratic process. I think what is unhealthy is when you have, um, you know, well-funded lobbyist groups that don't necessarily have uh, the heart and mind, or don't necessarily have the well-being of the average Canadian as their front and center motivation. They're, they're lobbying for a pharmaceutical company or they're lobbying for a vaccine uh, production company and warehouse, you know, or for infrastructure projects. I think 
you know, that's probably at this point, Leon, a prayer point, you know, to pray um, that there would be a greater level of accountability and scrutiny on um, who it is that actually has access to the prime minister's office, what kind of funding they're getting and, um, and what the taxpayer is actually getting for that. So I love the first kind of group. I'm not like, I think it's the second one that, that we need to um, be speaking to our leaders about. And obviously I say that because we've seen so much of that in the last five or six years of money just going out the door um, and Canadians really have no idea where all these um, millions and billions of dollars for the pandemic management in some cases have gone and what that's actually produced for Canadians. So you have to ask the question, are these high interests or are these high high level lobbyist groups that are um, you know, getting their tentacles into the infrastructure? I don't know, I don't know. All right, so tell me a little bit for our, the last minute or two that we have about where people across Canada can get to one of your meetings. I think that would be great. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked and I cannot wait to see Canadians. I'm actually so excited in my heart to connect with people, you know, like your viewers, um, you know, from C to C. And so depending on when someone watches this will depend on whether or not, um, you know, where, whether or not they can actually meet me at a tour stop, but go to message for Canada. Yeah, it's right spelled out message for Canada.ca. That'll show you where we've already been, where we're going. And, and also there is an online presentation that people can watch right there on YouTube. It's not the full thing that you get at a tourist stop. And uh, obviously you can't have interaction through a YouTube video, uh, but the, the information is there. So again, message for Canada, our tour stops and the heart of the content that I'm going to be presenting is there in YouTube format. Faithine, thank you so much for being with me today. It's been a privilege. Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv.